What if each one of us lived up to our potential and managed our resources so well that we could provide for ourselves, our families, and our communities in a meaningful and substantial way? Join Mindful Money Management, the show dedicated to empowering socially conscious individuals to manage their financial resources for the benefit of themselves, their families, and the greater community. Here's Lynn Wedham, Certified Financial Planner at Asante Wealth Management. Welcome to Step Right with Lynn. My guest today is the Reverend Robert Merritt, and our topic is the value of values, understanding the worth of commitment. If you've listened to any other Step Right with Lynn radio show, you know that I believe in planning everything. I believe that the most important step in planning is the setting of priorities. Whether you're planning for a purchase, for your children's education, for your retirement, or for your estate and your legacy, the most important thing is to know what you want. Reverend Merritt believes in setting priorities based on your values, and he's going to give us some guidance today on how to do that and the importance of doing so. Reverend Robert Merritt serves as an ordained minister at St. Andrew's United Church in Ottawa. He and his wife, who is also a United Church minister, have worked together in ministry for the past 27 years. Some of our listeners from Cambridge will remember uh, Robert and Hillary from their time at First United Church in Cambridge, Ontario. Robert has been trained in journalism, broadcast journalism, marketing, and public relations. He's worked in business communications and in public relations. Robert has been the president of a nonprofit housing corporation and has volunteered with Habitat for Humanity. As well, through his ministry, he's been an advocate for children's rights. Both he and his wife worked with Aboriginal youth in the Yukon, Northwest Territories, and British Columbia, bringing Ontario teenagers on exposure trips to Aboriginal reserves. Robert and Hillary purposely chose to job share their ministry positions while they raised their four children. What they gave up in salaries and pension contributions, they believe they earned far more in dividends of parenthood. Welcome, Robert Merritt. Good morning, Lynn. How are you today? I'm great. It's a beautiful sunny day. That's right. We've got sun here today, too, though it still was a cool morning when I first opened the door to let the dog out today. So our discussion today is going to begin around, actually around a song. Would you like to introduce our topic? Yeah, one of the things that interests me in my ministry is trying to find the focus for a contemporary theme with our uh, scriptures. And of course, I'm a big believer that the Bible speaks to us in a modern day context. And (laughs) one of the things that interests me was Johnny Cash's life. And here was a man that... uh, certainly crossed over from country into Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Gospel Hall of Fame, and everybody that knows Johnny Cash knows his uh, story. He was one filled with success but also pain. And I was very interested when I found a YouTube presentation um, on his last recording before he died. Johnny Cash died September 12, 2003, but he made a recording called Hurt in 2002. And the song really is an incredible testimony to his life and where he saw his life going. And it's the last recording. So I encourage your listeners, if anybody wants to Google Johnny Cash Hurt, it's worth the viewing. It's his last video ever made. 
And it's actually a, a song that was produced originally by uh, Nine Inch Nails, so you wouldn't expect Johnny Cash to cover it. But <laughs> at the end of his life, he records this song. And I'll just go over some of the words with you. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. The needle tears, tears a hole, the old familiar sting, try to kill it away, but all, I remember everything. At that point, I just want to say that that really goes back to his struggle with life, his struggle with addiction, his struggle with the pain that he, he battled most of his life. He lost his faith, and then he ended up regaining his faith in the latter part of his life. And he looks at, uh, in the song, then the words go, What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you can have it all, my empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. I wear this crown of thorns upon my liar's chair, full of broken thoughts I cannot repair. Beneath the stains of time, the feelings disappear. You were someone else, and I am still right here. And you could have it all, my empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. And when I heard that, I actually used it as a YouTube presentation in my church service. And I had the mm -hmm. congregation to um, view Johnny Cash. And I asked them if that reminded them of their own lives, some of the things that they're dealing with, but also whether it reminded them of a biblical character. And that, for me, became King Solomon. Mm-hmm. So King Solomon, if uh, listeners know that story, is Israel's most famous king, was granted great wisdom, great wealth, great power, and he had it all. And in the end of his life, he pens the book of Ecclesiastes and starts off with the uh, words in the book saying, useless, useless, useless. Life is all useless. You spend your life working and laboring, and what do you have to show for it? Generations come and generations go, but the world stays the same. The sun rises, still goes down, go wearily back to where it must start all over again. The wind blows south, the wind blows north, round and round and back again. Every river flows into the sea, but the sea is not yet full. The waters return to where the river began and starts all over again. So when I listen to Johnny Cash and I read those words of scripture, I see a very, very strong human element of that searching for happiness in people's lives. And mm -hmm. uh, I found it an interesting contrast between somebody that we uh, know in, in our day as the pinnacle of wealth and fame and power and put into halls of fame and dies unhappily as did Solomon. Yes, when you were mentioning it seems unusual for Johnny Cash to be quoting Nine Inch Nails, I was also thinking it's a little bit maybe odd for Robert Merritt to be quoting <laughs> Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> well, I do believe that our ministry is of this world and in this world, not of this world, but certainly in this world. And there's lots of talking points for congregations to draw ourselves into what does it mean to uh, live in the secular world while we still take care of our spiritual side. Okay. So King Solomon had the wisdom, the wealth, and the power, but what does this have to do with our values today? Well, I think in the end, you know, we look at chasing the dream. We look at putting all those things forward. What we think we want is that instant gratification, and often we're let down. And um, 
I came across a, a wonderful quote by Irish playwright. Oh, Irish playwright, great after St. Patty's Day, Oscar Wilde. And he says, in this world, there are only two tragedies. One is not getting what you want, and the other is getting it. <laughs> and it comes back mm. to those simple things of sometimes you've got to be careful what you wish for, right? And right. Uh, we, we know that the temporal things, material things of this world for a lot of people is important and are important goals, but at what cost? And I think a lot of us in a very, very busy time and 24-7 on computers and working around the mm -hmm. clock, you're chasing, chasing, chasing. And uh, you want that, but at what cost? So as Oscar Wilde says, there's two tragedies. And uh, right. I think the biggest one is sometimes getting exactly what you asked for. And, you know, when you when you talk about instant gratification, I mean, sometimes purchasing something that makes us feel better. was speaking about this with another guest recently, that, okay, I have the ability to purchase this thing, whether it's really something that's going to be used or it's well thought out or not, it's just there's there's a bit of a high sometimes that we need to be aware of, even in purchasing. Yeah, you know, and sometimes you can come with those post-purchase blues, right? Right. <laughs> I've, yeah. I've been there. Yeah. yeah. I've been there. Yeah. You set your goal on, I got to have, got to have, and then, you know, whether it's can't afford after the fact or why did I buy it. Right, right. So one of the messages today is that that instant gratification doesn't create a lasting satisfaction. It's balance, isn't it? I think that um, the things that we value have to be weighed to the commitment of worth. And so it is a balance. You know, obviously our economy needs to drive on, on some kind of prosperity or otherwise we've got a different set of problems. But mm -hmm. it's balancing what you need. And as you said in the introduction, uh, sheer listeners, my wife and I made those choices for ourselves. We are fortunate we both do the same job as ordained ministers. But in our life, we looked over the importance of the career, the importance of the dollars, and also for us the highest value, the importance of starting a family. We were absolutely blessed to have four children very quickly, four children under the age of five. So that came in a whirlwind to us. So when you do set yourself for a priority like having a family, then you also have to set yourself to a commitment. And it's not just enough to say, we've had the children. It's what are you going to do now you have the children? How are you going to place your life in priorities? And for us, it was to job share. And we're very mm -hmm. fortunate that we could do that. Not every couple can, obviously. But in our life, it was a good decision. It meant that I could be half-time while my wife was half-time. And when she went on maternity leave, I went to full-time. And when she came back, I dropped back to half. In terms of the finances, in terms of the economic security, there's risk. And we went without two full salaries to work on one salary. Mm -hmm. But the joy of that is parenting. And it was the priority in our life first to become parents with uh, a healthy, hopefully healthy family and that we would be able to put the commitment to the family over other things. Mm -hmm. I'm very, very happy to have been able to spend more time with my children than my father ever was with me. My father worked three shifts in a mine. My mom worked two shifts in a hospital. My life was one of seeing lots of notes passed between my parents, never seeing my parents from days on end. If they mm -hmm. were in the house, they were usually sleeping, so you had to be quiet. So 
I'm not well, saying yeah. I had a bad life or any of those things, no. but I didn't have the constant care and parenting that I think I was able to give to my children. And they did the best. They were doing the best that they could Absolutely. with the situation Absolutely. that they were in as well. Yeah. Yep. And um, working parents have to make sacrifices too, obviously. Yep. And yep. that's part of the commitment of value, right? I think the clarity there came from, oh, we're going to make our decisions based on what's best for the children. Yes. I lived my life a long time before I realized that there's parents who don't answer things that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to make that decision as strongly and as clearly as you make your purchasing decisions, right? I mean, a lot of people will spend a lot of time comparing product A and product B and look for the best deal and shop around what's on sale, what's got a warranty, and you can spend a lot of time on car lots or on boat shows or whatever looking for that purchase. But do you spend the same kind of thinking and, and priority in the decisions you made to parent, to feed your children, to decide what kind of diet, what kind of lifestyle? Do you actually make those conscious decisions over the bigger picture than you would over something that hits you in the face with an ad? That's true. That's true. It's time for us to go for a break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about these guiding principles to help us out. Do you want to make a difference? What if you found a way to make a far bigger impact than you ever thought possible? Apply mindful money management and learn how to create a better world by casting a vote for your values every time you spend, invest, and donate. Lynn Wedham is available to speak to you individually or to your group. You can reach Lynn at 519-654-8342 or by email at lynn at mindfulmoneymanagement.ca. We're back. My guest today is Robert Merritt, and we've been discussing using guiding principles to help us make decisions more easily. And I think that the world is getting very complicated. It's not getting easier to make decisions. It's not getting easier to get through a day. Things seem to be getting more complicated all of the time. So I think, Robert, we're looking for a way to simplify things a little bit. So how can you address that? I think, like most parents and, and busy people in professions, time management has become so important. You know, the successful people tell you that time is money, and time is also value, though. You have to be able to manage your time to make it the most for your business, for your career, for advancement in your workplace, but time for yourself, time for your family, time for your spouse, time for that meditation you might need to step away from a world that's hardwired 24-7. I really mm. think that one of the biggest commodities we have is time, and you can't win it back. We mm-hmm. know lots of stories of people that reflect over their life and wish they had those days back, wish they were able to turn back time. It can't be done, so you are given a day, you're given a moment, and you're given this hour to make the most of what you can do. And, you know, life is busy. You go through it and and before you know it, a month's gone, a year's gone, and and 10 years is gone. So Mm -hmm. how do you manage that self-esteem within your own life? How do you manage your own sense of worth? I think it, it really comes down to how you spent your time and was it a wise use of that commodity? Yes, and I think that discussion of time 
there's a lot of decisions that that relate to, and that's just a little different way of thinking of it maybe than I have considered as well. That's been the big question in our busy world for a long time. How do we create that balance between self and family and spouse? Yeah. And how do how do we find success in that area? That's right. And one of one of the saddest moments for me as a minister who spends a lot of time with other people, as you might expect, I'm on call when when somebody needs me. And having a family of four young children, one of the things that I did not want to have happen was them to end up as teenagers or adults to say, you had time for everybody else, but not for me. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, and yet many people are in jobs where it's demanding that they're on call. They have to drop. They have to do whatever, especially if you're in public service, Mm -hmm. you're, you're giving your time to everyone else. So how do you balance that? For us as a young couple in our lives, with children, we set out some pretty practical goals. For example, Friday night was a family night. We did our best to not have anything get in the way of that. It was mm-hmm. movie night for the children. Usually, good old Cambridge had two-for-one pizza, and they had two-for-one movies at the time. So you got a movie for the children, you got a pizza for the children, and you you sat around and you had your family time. It was cheaper than babysitting because with four kids, that was difficult. So For Friday sure. night became the family night, pizza night, movie night. And when the pizza was done with the children, their movie was done. We put them to bed. And then the second movie that Hillary and I chose for ourselves was watched uh-huh. as our date night. So it became yeah. both the family night and the date night in the same parameters. We couldn't go out. We couldn't leave the children. But it didn't stop us from having time to ourselves. Right. So you have right. to look at the creative. You have to look at, yes, you're settled down with the burden of parenting. You're settled down with the burden of babysitting. You're settled down with the burden of the children want first. But there is a possibility to take the hours allotted to you and divide them up fairly that they get what they need and you get what you have to have too in your relationship. Right. So what do you believe is the biggest key to living so that we don't get to a point in our lives and look back and believe that it was all pointless. It's going back to Johnny Cash and then King Solomon too. Yeah, you know, in, in in the end, when you watch that Cash video, it's interesting because his faith comes through and there is strong imagery of his Lord and Savior in in that. For Solomon, he concludes that everything depends upon God and that man can spend his life chasing the wind and it's pointless in that there is a season for everything. And so that's the uh, probably the most well-known portion of Ecclesiastes. There's a time for everything under the season, time for war, time for peace, a time for love, a time for hate, time for... You know, that goes on. Uh, mm-hmm. The birds turned it into a wonderful song in the 60s. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, and, and that really, when, when you look at King Solomon, who had amassed all his wealth, all his power, was given all wisdom, he writes in the first part of Ecclesiastic how pointless this is, but in the end he recognizes that to everything there is a purpose. And um, I think I think those words from that that was turned into the famous song, Turn, 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 really does sum up that seeking that we can beat ourselves into the ground because we're not totally in control and there's something greater than ourselves 
and we have to have that ability to turn it over. Now, of course, I speak easily on that matter when it comes to the spiritual well-being, and I do believe that part of our success in, in life is to have a good relationship with our God and, and with our faith and to be able to understand that as a person cannot do it all. Nobody mm-hmm. can have it all together at all the time yeah. and achieve everything. And when we look at that passage, there's a time for birth, a time for growth, a time for marriage, a time for career, a yes. time for family, friendship, yes. recreation, retirement, and then death. There's very little materialistic things listed there. No, that's true. And from Solomon, who had everything on a materialistic sense as well. It's you know, it's interesting. Yeah. Years ago, I did a, a Bible study. It was actually in, in a home. And the eldest person in the room was a, the grandmother, and she was in her 90s. And we were talking about poverty, and we were talking about food banks, and we were talking about how children have to have breakfast programs and, and all the support systems. And she spoke up and said, you know, I was raised on a farm, and there was 14 kids in our family, and I was the middle kid, and we didn't have anything. But I lived my life never knowing I was poor. It was mm-hmm. only when somebody in the media told us that we were poor that we thought we were. And it just took yeah. everybody in the room back because in her life, it was natural to have lots of children in the family in those days. You needed children to work farm. Nobody had anything extra, but nobody went without anything either. And she Mm -hmm. really did not see herself as poverty-stricken. It was only when the statistics come out, the sociologists get involved, and they start weighing, well, you didn't have a car. You didn't have the extras. that You must have been poor. But she said, you know, we always had food on the table. We had love in the home. We never knew we were poor. Right. So, you know, there are lessons we can learn from that generation. You know, and that's the other thing, too, that really speaks to us today is McLean's Magazine has on the cover an elderly couple smiling and looking very content. And behind them stands her son with a dream cloud over his head, and it's a pot of gold with stacks of dollars around it. And then the caption to the cover is, hurry up and die already. And there's a sense that, you know, there's a generation today that is waiting for their parents to die so they can get that inheritance. And those parents were the ones that were the savers of our time. They often went through depression as a child. They may have served in the Second World War, and now they're in their late 80s, 90s. And the generation behind them, their children behind them, are the ones that are debted and the ones that are carrying a huge amount of debt today. And their only solution in many cases is to wait for that inheritance to come and so McLean pokes fun of it and says, hurry up and die already, so that that generation can receive the benefits of their parents. Mm-hmm. That speaks and a lot to where we are today. Right, right. It's almost time to go for a break. So I think we'll go to the break, and when we come back, we'll just talk a little bit more about the idea of the article in McLean's and just how that speaks to our values and maybe where there's been a, a shift in values between those generations and what it may mean to the future. So we'll get right on that after the break. Do you want to make a difference? What if you found a way to make a far bigger impact than you ever thought possible? 
Apply mindful money management and learn how to create a better world by casting a vote for your values every time you spend, invest, and donate. Lynn Wedham is available to speak to you individually or to your group. You can reach Lynn at 519-654-8342 or by email at lynn at mindfulmoneymanagement.ca. Welcome back to our show today called The Value of Values. My guest, Robert Merritt, believes that we can create clarity around our decisions by first creating clarity around our values. Robert, when you're talking about the McLean's article, it brings to mind um, another guest that we've had on, Tom Deans. And Tom Deans talks about, you know, that the generations don't talk about money and we, we don't give the senior generation time to talk about their values around money because we just avoid that topic. And so, you know, he says there's times when, because we don't talk about money, that, you know, the older generation may look at the next generation and think they're doing wonderfully because they have a beautiful home and they have two nice cars. Exactly. And, you know, and they have everything. So sometimes, you know, there's a lot of stress created just because we don't share and we don't talk about money and we don't talk about the values. And I think there's a, a common theme in generation upon generation of parents who always wanted to give the next generation something better than they had. And right. so you can think of um, people that came out of the depressions, came out of the wars, whose goal was to always improve their life and to improve their children's lives. So you're right when you take a look across society and we see a falsehood in that improved living. So yes, there, the houses are bigger today. You know, mm-hmm. it was interesting um, when we started off in life, when you start looking for a starter home, it was hard to find something that was small. Um, mm-hmm. We started off in a rental, so it made it a little easier, but if you start to buy anything today that's of modern and, and good shape and all the rest, it's hard to find anything small because everything True. is built on a big house on a small lot, where in days mm-hmm. gone by, it was a small house on a big lot. And right. so the reverse has happened, really. So with a small house on a big lot, your children are outside playing in that big lot. Today, we have the big right. house on a small lot, and the children are locked inside and don't get away from the video games and the TV sets. So there's an irony in how we flip those values right there. You know, I know I've been in the market, bought houses over the years, and one of the things that in our last purchase, had a hard time finding a house with a dining room. And the real estate Mm -hmm. agent said, you know, that dining room doesn't exist anymore because families don't sit around the table like they used to. They're coming and going. So in replacement of the dining room, it's far more important in newer homes to have a jacuzzi. So think about it, though. And the reason being that so many people are on the road traveling, let's say, from Toronto up to Mississauga to Cambridge or wherever, the suburbias, they were working so long, they've been on the road, all they want to do is get home and relax in the tub. And the quality time there becomes a very different quality time than generations before that were gathering around the table together. And so you're right. You look at the older generation who looks at their sons, daughters, and grandchildren, and they see that affluent home that has the jacuzzi, has the big screen television, has all those things that are relaxation mode, for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word, 
I've got to get back and, you know, kick off my shoes and put my feet up in the Lazy Boy recliner and sit in front of the 52-inch TV because I'm exhausted and I deserve this. And we know that our biggest problem, and it's no secret, the the government tells us we're spending more than we're earning. In fact, I think it's something like $1.63 in debt to every dollar earned. So we have this real vacuum between the parents that are holding their fortunes and, and those waiting to get the inheritance, while those parents may say, well, they don't need the money. Look at They've got two cars. They've got the jacuzzi. They've got the TV. They're doing all right not understanding that they've overspent. They're in debt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if the interest rates were to move tomorrow, uh, it doesn't look like they're going to. Last night, the mortgage rate in (laughs) major bank, 2.79. But, you know, for how long economists are saying the bubble's going to break? Um, You know, it's been a long, long time. But for a generation that looks at their children and grandchildren sees those low interest rates, there's a false security in that. Mm-hmm. And even at those low interest rates, our debt is still high. Oh, yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and there certainly is a danger there. And I think the governments are very well aware of what that increasing interest rate is going to create. And that's why they're being so hesitant, because they don't know if the economy can support moving that up. It's an interesting discussion between American politics and Canadian politics. And, of course, in 2008, the United States took the biggest hit on the housing market. Canada Mm -hmm. did well, and one of the few countries around the world that did well. Our our banks were strong, our institutions are strong, and Canada came out of 2008 looking like a secure economy. And we have been fortunate that the housing market hasn't fallen out, that we were able to provide a good standard of living in Canada. But I remember back in 2008 that um, my daughter, who was in her latter part of high school, was starting to take interest in watching the news, which was a hallelujah moment for me. She was finally mm-hmm. stopped watching uh, Ninja Turtles and, and paying attention <laughs> to the real world around her. Yeah. And she came to me in 2008, she was probably in grade 11 or so, and said, I'm worried. I'm, I'm seeing all this stuff in the news about uh, recession and depression and people are going to lose their jobs. What does that mean? Are you going to lose your job, Dad? And I said, no, I don't wow. think I'm going to lose my job, but you have to understand my job's very different. I get paid through offering on the plate, and that's no charge to come to church. People just free will offering. So I told her how church works, and that scared the life out of her. Cause she's well, I was going to say, say, that's even less secure. <laughs> it's less secure, but, you know, yeah. and, it, and it's very true. There's no admission charge to come to church, and we don't set a fee for anybody to come. So ministers are paid on faith, but it's not just my salary. It's the mission work of the church. It's the lights on the building. It's the organist, it's the secretary. It's the insurance paid. It's, and it's our givings off to mission programs. It all comes through from voluntary donation. So when she mm-hmm. says, it looks like the world's going into depression, how are we going to make it, Dad? And I said, through faith, don't worry. And I said to her, there will be changes, and probably you're going to see a few restaurants close. And who knows, maybe Tim Hortons will close one of the 24 locations in town. Mm, Probably you're going to see some closures in the mall and you're going to see a few of the shops not have the long hours of commerce. And I was explaining to her that, you know, there's probably going to be some belt tightening. There's probably going to be some changes in, in shopping patterns, but we'll be okay. You know what happened? 
she says to me, why don't they just print more money, Dad? Then the problem will go away. And I laughed. Mm. And I said, no, no, Sarah, we've got to sit down and talk about economics, and we've got to explain how money works. She went away, shaking her head, totally confused. And if you remember, George Bush was leaving office, and Obama was about to come in, and they worried about it. And what was the United States' answer? Print more money. Yeah, yeah. And my daughter came back to me and said, what do you know? Obama and the president's going to print more money. You know nothing, Dad. And in fact, she said this to me, in fact, Walmart has announced they're open 24 hours a day around Christmas. Oh my. So everything okay. that you think you know and everything yep. that you know logically makes sense about savings and about cutting back and choosing you know, a, a clear-cut logical value, even in that was indescribable how we went forward with spend, spend, spend your way out of the problem. Mm-hmm. And, and it <laughs> amazingly has been working. I don't understand how it's been working, personally, because, yeah. uh, you know, we, we build on more debt while we pray that there isn't a, a financial burst. But, it's, yeah. but yeah. it wasn't that long ago we were listening to the United States complain about falling off the fiscal cliff. Yes, yeah. And everybody worried, what would that mean? I haven't heard yeah. that discussion in a, in a while now. No, no. And again, things are a little bit better, I think, as far as as Americans and debt. But a lot of that debt was written off from that time, which, you know, the fallout kind of happened and got us back to a spot. As you were speaking, you spoke symbols of our values, like the big lot and the small house and the big house Mm -hmm. and, and the small lot. You know, those things do speak to our values. You know, the big lot exercise, being outside, fresh air, the earth, growing our own food because most of the people would have a garden in, yeah, in the exactly. large lot. You know, probably, so, well, living in Sheffield, you know what that looks like. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and, and I, well and, and I grew up in the country as well. And the other thing was, you know, you talked about the dining room table. Well, you know, growing up, supper was 6 o'clock every day. It wasn't like Sunday night we met for dinner at 6 o'clock. Dinner was 6 o'clock every day, <laughs> and it was sitting at the table. It wasn't grabbing a sandwich on your way through the kitchen on your way to something else. It was suppers at 6 o'clock, and that was an expectation. And in think, rural communities, the, the farmers came in. You know, their wives had dinner ready at 12 o'clock. You ate at 12 o'clock, and you ate at 6 o'clock. And I think it was pretty standard. And um, I think that's the key, too, Lynn. I think that although we can admit that we're not an agricultural-based society anymore, and very few of us know farmers personally, but the, the truth is that whatever that was really centered around routine. And routine mm-hmm. probably is what we need to put some commitment into and value into. It's not wrong to have routine. It's not mundane. It's not boring. It shouldn't be seen as, you know, been there, done that kind of thing. It should be seen for its value, that there's more to be achieved in habit forms, more to be achieved in discipline over time. You know, children that go to bed and rise at the same hour every day are going to do better in school than those who stay up beyond their bedtimes and work late into the night and don't get a proper sleep, don't get a proper breakfast, right? So we are pushed to work to a different kind of time schedule, admittedly, but that doesn't mean that we don't have the ability to put routine into our life that would be beneficial. And Mm -hmm. you think about it. I mean, 
when you want to get physically better, strength, you go to a gym. They tell you, you know, mm-hmm. these are the routines, these are the exercises, stay at it, and, you know, have a mindset that that's where you're going to be and that's what you're going to do. Do you do that with other parts of your life as easily? And I'm not saying that you have to be a slave to it, but it is good to have routine that, whatever that routine is, that the family can connect back to. I was talking to a minister the other day who said that in his life, the routine is at 9 o'clock, no matter what, he and his wife stop what they're doing and they pray together. And when they're absent from each other at 9 o'clock, no matter where they are in the world, they stop what they're doing and they phone each other. And wow. whether whether you do it in prayer or you do it in just being in a conversation, how is the rest of your day? If If you picked a time mm-hmm. of the day where you and your spouse or your family are going to say, this is when we are going to gather, and you do it routinely, you are probably going mm-hmm. to be strengthening your personal relationship. One of the things that I found very, very useful for ourselves with our children was we did have those meals around the table, thankfully. And mm-hmm. at the table, we always had highlights and lowlights. And highlights okay. were an opportunity for the children to say, what was the best part of your day? But we also had lowlights. And so we had to go around the table at supper, and the children had to tell me what their low light of the day was. Now, I always gave them the opportunity to pass. I didn't want this to be a lecture. But if a child didn't have a good day at school, didn't do well in the class, or was even teased or bullied, I heard about it. And it was mm-hmm. good to have the highlights and the lowlights spoken at the table. It was routine for us to gather and eat as a family. Even when we're running with kids off to other things, we managed to eat first. But to assess your day to your highlights and your lowlights helps everybody understand what you're struggling with. And it also gives an opportunity to receive help to get on past that lowlight or to celebrate the highlight. And I think that that's a simple way for people to assess the value of their life and the value of their children's activities, the value and importance of what they've been doing. When you start coming back to the table and you've got far more low lights and you do highlights, then maybe there needs to be some adjustments made. Right. Yeah, I like the idea you've come up with here, just that habit of stopping at some point in the day. I suppose, you know, some families, when they're rushing off to this event or rushing off to that event, sometimes in the car there might be the opportunity for a child to share. But one on one is always good. Yeah, but I, I think the symbol of of the dining room tables comes to mean something to me too. I have a dining room table. Well, it's it's a kitchen table, I suppose. It's in our kitchen, but it is off to the side of the kitchen. But it came out of my parents' basement. At one time, it was covered with yellow paint, and we, you know, we took the yellow paint off of it, and we've always had this table. Now, that table, we can pull out, we can put about five leaves in that thing. You know, Wonderful. So sometimes, it's, sometimes it's down to a short table, but sometimes it's a big table. And just as we've been talking, and, you know, our house is a place where people do drop in, and I think that, you know, that's that's a value, too, that, you know, it's almost like if you're going to go visit a friend, you're supposed to make an appointment now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, where where our house was always a place to drop in, the kids' friends dropped in, but I think the dining room table is all a, a symbol of that. I'm going to value my table and even more. Value that more. table more. 
And the other yeah. side to it I think we've lost in our society is we don't gather socially as we once did. I think uh, there's a generation, my children's generation especially, that really don't know how to host. They're not used mm-hmm. to having people come over. It's more okay. of a get-together and go out. Or if they are together, it's on electronics. Rather than you were probably raised and I was raised with the sense that your parents had people over on a Saturday night, mm-hmm. Friday night, even to play cards or whatever. But there was a routine of, of the comings and goings in the home and a more sense of that social hosting. And I mm-hmm. see a big drop-off in that in, in a younger generation that they just they expect things to happen without planning to be a good host. Right. And that's so, just a breakdown in relationships, really. Yeah. So, again, commitment to your friends, commitment to your relationships. We're committed to Facebook. Many people are committed yeah. to Facebook, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. it's, again, a very artificial way. You know, one of the things that uh, I haven't preached yet, but what a friend we have in Jesus is it was such a uh, iconic hymn, and I'm, I was thinking of doing a sermon about who are your friends, who are your real friends. I mean, lots of people on Facebook have all kinds mm. of friends, but when it gets down to it, who can you depend upon? And how many of them are quick friends rather than real friends? Right. And so there's values there that, uh, to that relationship that we need to work at and have commitment to. Right. So what is the guidance that you can offer us in making decisions that are going to make us satisfied for the long term? I think it's to take a look at what you want to achieve in life and what is your life about. Is it to eat, work, and sleep only? And sadly, people have found themselves to do that and they have to pay the bills. There's that sense. But there's the other side is where is the joy in your life? And, you know, volunteerism is a a big way of bringing contentment into a person's life, to take some of those unused gifts that you have or unpaid skills that you have to go and say, you know, I, I want to work with people. I want to volunteer my time. Some of the greatest rewards I know from people come not from their jobs, but from their hobbies and from their activities working with others. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we need to put value to the commitments we make in in terms of what makes us happy, where are we going to spend our time, and time management of that is crucial in terms of being happy to really find self-worth and self-esteem. You know, it's easy to say you've got a career, but, you know, are you valued for what you are at the office, where Mm -hmm. you may find that some of that value in your own life doesn't come there. It comes in a, in a very different sense and it might even be showing a, a side of you that others don't see because they don't pay to see it, right? Uh, right. So I think that's, I think there's a holistic view that we need to have. What What is your life and where do you spend your time and energies and what do you commit yourself to do? And it's mm-hmm. that value of commitment. It's a value of worth that uh, I'm more than my job title describes me. And mm-hmm. I think we need to move beyond being inside that box and saying there's more to me and there's more to life. You know, from a spiritual point of view, to be in right relationship with your God and with others is really important. If you're not in right mm-hmm. relationship, you spend a lot of time grinding your teeth and unfortunately you can, you can develop ulcers, you can develop high blood pressure, you can develop, you know, all kinds of right. and, and those are, over those, and those unhappiness. Are... And those are really good ways to know that something is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, that something needs to change when you have that kind of a symptom in your life as well. 
the last verse of the song Hurt is, If I could start again a million miles away, I will keep myself, I would find a way. And um, yeah. and that's what we're hoping for ourselves and for our listeners is that we will find a way to avoid getting to the end of our lives and thinking that all is vanity. We want to have some purpose. And our wish for everyone is that we find that purpose and and live that purpose. Thanks so much for being with us today. That's been wonderful. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Lynn, and I, and I found it to be a lively discussion with you this morning. Oh, great. Yeah, it was lots of fun, and we'll have to do it again because I think that we could have talked for another couple of hours. <laughs> I'm sure I could. <laughs> give, give the preacher a pulpit. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah, so thanks so much. We'll have to plan to do it again. Remember, I welcome your comments on Step Right with Lynn. Send me an email, and we'll arrange a time to chat. Remember, I'm here to help. This is Lynn Wedham. The show is Step Right with Lynn. Until next time, take the right steps to support yourself, your family, and your community. Thank you for choosing to listen to Mindful Money Management. We hope you'll join us next time. To listen to more shows like this one, please go to soundcloud.com and search Mindful Money Management. We appreciate your follows, likes, and shares. Until next time, remember to celebrate your wealth by doing something for yourself, your family, and your community.